Good morning, everybody. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to The Story Podcast, and today I have on a super awesome guest, Jessica Smucker. Jessica Smucker believes that the best way to change the world is to channel our pain into connection. Her songs have a way of reaching deeply into people's souls and inviting the kind of reflection that feels both reassuring and unsettling. Wrapped in catchy melodies, her lyrics appear simple and relatable on the surface, but with each listen, uncovers more hidden pockets of nuance. She is the kind of writer and a performer who can lull a noisy room into a hush with a single line. Jessica is based in Lancaster, PA, very near the tiny rural town of Burdenhan, where she grew up. She has toured nationwide, open for many national acts like Cher- Cheryl Wheeler and Bill Staines, and shared billing with Heather Maloney, Megan Trainer, Gangsta Grass, and The Stray Birds. She has won or placed in numerous national songwriting contests, including Solar Fest Singer Songwriter Showcase Competition, the Connecticut Folk Festival Song Competition, and the Mid Atlantic Song Contest. Her discography spans from 2008 to 2020 and includes her two EPs and three full length albums and a handful of singles released in 21 to 22. She re- hopes to release a fourth album sometime next year. In her life beyond music, Jessica is a published poet and essayist, a social justice warrior, freakishly good at Scrabble, and mother to two of the smartest people she's ever met in real life. Jessica, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me here. Of course. So tell me, where did your love for music begin? That's a very good question. Um, you know, I took piano lessons as a very young child, five years old. Um, I liked playing for relaxation, but I didn't really like learning. I mean, I didn't like practicing. I didn't like playing what other people told me to play. Um, I would say that uh, as a little kid and even as a teenager, I would occasionally go to the piano to write something. Um, And I always loved listening to music, but I didn't really ever think of myself as a musician. My my passion for music really, um, really came from my passion for writing. Mm. So I was I was always a writer. Um, from very, very early on. And I wrote in a number of different genres. Um, Through a lot of my 20s, I was writing and publishing poetry um, and nonfiction. And I would say that when I I really turned to music and started um, thinking of that as my my primary genre, my primary passion was um, when I I was just finishing college and thinking about going to grad school, thinking about doing an MFA, and I realized that poetry just had me in my head too much. Mm. And I wasn't, I wasn't writing very, I was overthinking everything. I was really having trouble um, keeping up with the, 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 um, the level of output that I was supposed to be keeping up with um, and kind of driving myself crazy with it. And so I started, I noticed that I, I was turning to the piano more um, just for relaxation, just for fun. Um, but I started writing some songs and, um, over time and very gradually and the the story of how I went from dabbling in that to feeling like, okay, about being a a professional is, is long and we don't have to go into that. But that was, um, that was what, what did it for me. It was, it was getting burnt out with the other forms of writing and realizing that music and composing music was really a full body experience for me. Um, I felt like when I when I had my hands on the on the keys and I was doing something physical with my body, it was easier for the words to come out. And they it was like I was carving a, a place for the words to live um, with um, with the physical process of of playing the piano. Um, so that was in uh, around my late twenties, and I started my first band when I was thirty. And I guess the rest is history. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about the writing because. Uh, you mentioned a lot of musicians aren't uh, usually writers first. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that transition. What was it like to transition from poetry, essays to uh, singer songwriting material, mm-hmm. which is arguably poetry too? Yeah, it is. And yet there was very, there has always been very little crossover for me between when I'm writing a poem, it's a completely different process. I have started writing poetry again after like a 15 year lull. Um, but, you know, now looking back, because that was about you know 16, 17 years ago when I started doing music, 
now looking back, I wish that I had been able to start it more confidently and realize that, you know, everybody has a different way into music. Some people play music because they're really excellent at the guitar um, or they have like really great music theory or rhythm. And some people, you know, are reluctant musicians, but they they're writing things that are that are worth putting out there. Um, so early on, um, I was very I was very insecure about my musical ability. Um, I was also very lucky because I had a couple of people who heard my songs, um, a couple of good, really good musicians who heard my songs and wanted to help me figure out how to arrange them and, and how to think about myself as, as a musician. Um, so I, I eased into it. I had, I had a band before I ever performed solo. And when I started my band, I thought I would never, ever, ever go out and just play the piano and sing in front of an audience by myself. Like I felt like I really needed those, those people who were real, who were real musicians, (laughs) um, to support my work. And I, I learned a whole lot from that process. Um, but you know, a few years in, I, I got to the point where I had learned enough that it was like, okay, I think I, I think I can, um, go out and play a set by myself. And, um, but it's, it's different than it is for a lot of people. And I, I have to sort of think about where are the right rooms for me to play? Um, and where am I going to feel the most comfortable? Because what I, what I do on the piano is very basic. I play to accompany myself. I'm not good in a jam session. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm good at harmonizing, you know, singing harmonies in a jam session, but I'm not, I'm not the person you're going to call to play keys in your band. Like I'm going to play it for myself. Um, and I've, I've really, I've surrounded myself with some really, really excellent musicians. Um, and that, that feels on one hand lucky. And on the other hand, it's, it's that like, I feel like I was the last to accept that writing a good song matters as much as like, you know, knowing the names of the chords you're, you're playing. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's sort of a a story of how I, you know, came into it. Sure. So you you mentioned how the process for you of writing poetry versus writing music is completely different brain. Tell me a little bit how, like, how does that work for you? So I tried early on when I started doing music, I thought, well, maybe I'll turn some of my some of my poems that are already written into musical creations. And it just felt really contrived. It just didn't it didn't feel right. Um, Some of it is that I think um, the the creation process for me is really um, there's a lot of discovery that's happening. Like I don't even when I'm writing uh, prose or I'm writing an essay. I don't really sit down and and make an outline of like this is where I'm starting, this is where I want to go, these are my goals. I mm. I write, um, I write to discover. Um, and if I if I know where it's going too soon in the process, I lose interest in it. So. So you through compose almost. Yeah, 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 that yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, so I just feel like because when I'm when I'm writing a song you know, it's not like I start out with words and put it to a melody. It's, um, I I do some starting out with a melody and then like, it's not just putting words in it though. It's like using the melody to kind of like, like dig for the words. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it just feels like those two things are really inseparable. Um, when I'm, when I'm writing a poem, it's hard to explain, but it's just, there's a whole different way that my that my brain is working and like a different state of mind that i'm that i'm in um and it's rhythmic but it's not it's not melodic melodic. yeah um yeah (laughs) so when did you write your first song and what was that what was that process like for you um i mean i wrote i wrote some songs when i was you know probably seven or eight years old i you know but um, I remember I, the, maybe the first song that I at the time felt really good about was when I was in high school. I wrote a song about my dad. Um, <laughs> and I, I remember that feeling, you know, like a real accomplishment. It was like, oh, this is something that I can do. And from there, I think I I wrote more. But in terms of the I mean, I remember the first song I wrote that made me think. Wow, I could really be a songwriter. It's a song that I still play. Um, 
I was I was in college when I wrote it. It's called Same Time Every Year. Um, and it was just, I think it, there, there was something about my my work as a poet that came into that. It was like I had finally found a way to incorporate some ideas from poetry into a song. It had it had the lush imagery um, and the, but it was also very like my poems in that at the time that it was very packed with words. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I've over over time. If you listen to my early songs, they tend to be very packed with lyrics. Um, some of them don't even have choruses. Like it'll have a chorus, a melodic chorus, but it has different words every time because I just I felt like I had so much to say in you know a limited space. Um, but, um, so now I, I've, I've been a lot more, uh, sparse and direct with my lyrics lately, which is a, a fun evolution too. Yeah. So we have a few of your songs from, uh, as of late, which one do you want to highlight first? Do you think we have dinosaur stones to throw or to see? Yeah, let's do dinosaurs. Tell me about dinosaurs. <laughs> so dinosaurs was my, my pandemic song. And, um, I was I was home, you know, with I had been working from home before the pandemic started and my husband was also working from home. So there wasn't a whole lot that changed about our situation, except that our kids were home from school. They all were the home all the, all the time. <laughs> right. And so we were just trying to navigate that. We felt very lucky. We felt like we had it better than a lot of people. Um, but, you know, it was. Um, so I just remember having this moment around the summer of 2020 when it became clear that like, this is, this is not just a couple months, like this is a long-term thing. Um, and there was something about it that felt really, it felt really apocalyptic to me. And I just, I woke up one morning and I was like, you know, I feel like the world already ended, but like, we just don't know it yet. Mm. Um, and because I had little kids in the house, <laughs> Um, who were into dinosaurs, it just got me thinking about dinosaurs. And I was thinking, you know, we know a little bit about how the dinosaurs went extinct, but I don't think it's like, you know, the meteor hit and they all died right away. I think it's very possible or likely that there were dinosaurs walking the earth for hundreds or or thousands of years afterwards. Right, we still got birds and the crocodiles. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so it was like, did those did those dinosaurs who were walking the earth, you know, a hundred years after the the you know the um, the death shot was fired on their species, um, did they care that it was? Did they know? Did they care? Or are they just people that are living their lives and trying to make the not not people are they just dinosaurs who are living their lives and you know, foraging for food and trying to make the best of it. And so it just felt like it applied. It felt mm -hmm. like, um, you know, this is a moment where I can be grateful for the time with my family. I can acknowledge that it's difficult. I can acknowledge that, like, there's something deeply sad about it, um, but also that there's a love story in mm -hmm. there somewhere. So that's that's where Dinosaurs came from. Let's take a listen to Dinosaurs by Jessica Smucker. thought the world would end with blood and bones but here we are hunkered down in our home sweet home I love you Drawing me out 
is hard Everything I see is red Learning to live my life Without a future in my head I love you Dinosaurs by Jessica Smucker. What a what a unique sound, I must say. <laughs> Especially with the, the Thurman type sounding uh guitar, you might have said it was. Yeah, you know, I kind of forget what uh all the instruments were that we put in there, but I know we were going for a really kind of synth pop sound. Um we had uh, you know, a, a really great piano player, synthesizer. Uh, player from Philly who who co-produced it with my producer Chad Kinsey and um, I I really don't remember a lot of the things that we put in it I just know that we had a certain sound we were going for and that was like we we got it we you accomplished it. it yeah yeah absolutely. yeah so tell me what was that process I, I did you produce that during the COVID times or um yeah because I guess it it I released it in the summer of 2021 so um I think you know I I was pretty actively in the studio when the pandemic first hit. And I think, I mean, we took a few months off, but then um, we were, we were pretty able to get back on a schedule by, you know, the summer of 2020, um, mostly because our studio space was really big. Mm. So we were able to, we were able to ventilate it and stay pretty far from each other. And then, you know, we would mask and just like take the masks off when I was singing. Um, so it it felt like it was I was very glad of that, that it was it was possible to keep um, to keep going with it. And then by the time we needed to bring in the um, the backup singers and some of the the auxiliary people, um, it was it was it felt very safe simple. enough that people yeah. were able to come in. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about because we kind of skipped over a lot of your music time yeah. before. <laughs> uh, what was it like going from a band to solo? What was that mm -hmm. process like for you? Um. In some ways, it was really nice. Um, I was at the beginning of my music career. I was so grateful to have people who really great musicians who actually wanted to play with me. I mean, it kind of blew my mind and and um, was validating. And honestly, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have kept going 
with music if I didn't feel like there were people who were really, really invested in keeping it going. Um, and I know that, um, so in my first bands, I wasn't playing uh, keyboard at all. I had a keyboard player. I was just singing. And then um, I think the keyboard player quit. I mean, he just had too much other stuff going on. And my bandmates were just like, you know, Jessica, I think, I think you could, you could do this, you know? Um, and I was, I was really reluctant. So that's how it started is that I started playing keyboard with the band. Um, and then, you know, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not excited about my piano skills. I, I, feel the limitations a lot. There's so much I wish that I was better at with the piano. Um, I know that I could put in the time, but then it would be time that I'm not spending writing or not spending with my kids. And so that's been, um, but at the same time, I think that I have really improved as a piano player over the years of doing music. And so by the time, um, um, and I guess the first time that I, that I played any kind of show solo, was when um, it was in 2010, 2011, I just released my first full length album and I entered some songwriting contests and they were the kind of songwriting contests that you enter it. And then if you're selected for the finals, you have to go to the place where there's like a music festival or something, you go to the place and you have to play the, the song solo. <laughs> um, and so I got into one of those and I, I it really, blew me away and terrified me and I got there and I was one of 10 finalists and everybody else there and you know at least from my perspective was a much better musician than me like I felt very confident about my songs but I was just like abilities yeah, yeah I was just like there's no way I'm gonna perform these in a way that really stands out um and then it turned out it was just the opposite that actually there was something about the very simple way that I just played to accompany myself and it sort of let the song breathe and I ended up winning the, con the contest. And so that was a huge confidence boost that made me think, okay, like if I have to perform solo, like it's something I can do and, and maybe I can get better at it. Um, so it, it took, it was a lot of years. Um, and then in recent years, it's really just been because it's more practical, mm. um, you know, paying a, a full band to play with you, um, making the rehearsals happen. Um, you know, we have, I have done some band shows in the last number of years. Um, usually it's just my, my session players from my, my studio recordings, um, because they can, we have all the charts, they've played on all the songs. We can put together a show with two rehearsals and, and I'm the weakest link musically, which is how it should be. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> so tell me, when uh, when did you start producing? Did you ever start producing like solo albums, like all by yourself? Then no. no. Okay. I always I always have a producer. Um, and that's that's a relationship. Sorry, that, I meant no, I meant yeah. I oh. meant as like piano only. No. Okay. No. Um, I the the most basic recording I have is um, you know, a kind of acoustic EP where we had like you know piano and bass and then some stringed instruments like banjo and mandolin um and that came out in early 2010 but most of my recordings um at least the, most of the songs on every album are they're they're treated as as you know like full full, full arrangements um and um i mean i do i do you know some little like makeshift youtube videos at home where <laughs> i'm just playing piano um, and there's usually at least one song on every album that if it's not entirely just me and a piano, it's, it's pretty Stripped. bare bones. Yeah. Um, we'd like to, you know, um, put that in there, but, um, but no, all my recordings are, are like, you know, I like being in the studio because I have as much time as I need to get everything exactly the way I want it. Like, I think of studio recordings as kind of a historical document. And, um, you know, I like performing live, but live is, you know, you get what you get. Um, whereas with the studio recording, I mean, my vocals, I will, I will sing the whole album. I mean, I don't know how many times, many, many times. And um, sometimes I'll think we have the final vocal take and then I'll listen back to it and be like, oh, I just want like a little bit more nuance in this place because you're really trying to get people to feel something. Mm -hmm. And so, 
to me, it feels it's not it's not cheating. It's a whole different art form, you know, to to put everything together in a way that the song is like maximizing the emotional impact for um, for the listener. Yeah, you definitely want to serve the song in in your recordings that go out to everybody. Right. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, and we can go back to the, sure. to finding the producer mm-hmm. that best fits you. What was that process like? Did you find it immediately or did you have to do some shopping? Yeah. No. Um, it took a little while. I mean, I'd say my my first two recordings, I always I always had a good relationship with the producers I was working with. Um, it's a really intense experience. I mean, you don't want to be with some working with somebody that you're uncomfortable with. Of course. Um, but I would say, you know, partly I didn't know how to communicate with a producer about I mean it's it's it takes a while to get to that point where like you know just knowing what you want and so I was very deferential to to what they were doing and I I would say that my early recordings um some of them are hard for me to listen to because I hear all the missed opportunities I hear all the ways that I would have done things differently um but I would say when I when I got really serious about um when I wanted to level up my studio recordings. Um, it's funny because I had, um, you know, a friend that I always went to for, um, because I knew he would be honest with me. Like mm-hmm. I considered him a musical snob. I, I actually <laughs> thought that he would be too bullheaded for me to work with. Um, but I really, really appreciated his opinion. He would come to my shows and I'd be like, what did you think? And he'd be like, you know, you got to do this or you got like, he would always tell me, and I was really hungry to, to learn. Um, and so I think actually around the same time, the two of us independently of each other started thinking like it would actually be good for us to work together. Um, and so that turned out to be the person that I've worked with for the last, um, well, for two albums, two and a half albums and the last decade. Um, so that's Chad Kinsey. And um, I really appreciated our relationships our, our relationship because there's been a lot of push and pull. We mm. don't come from the same musical background. We have a lot of differences in opinion about what sounds good and what doesn't. Um, and there are times when, but we, you know, we had, we had ground rules. So it was kind of like, if we, we, we both have to be, we have to have sign off from both of us. And if we have an impasse, you know, the first rule is like, you just take a couple days and sit with it. And, um, you know, Almost every time over a decade, every time we had an impasse, which wasn't that many times, um, one of us would come around first. And um, and I I just felt really good about that relationship. Now, this album that we've been working on has gotten interrupted because um, he's had some pretty major health issues. Um, mm. And we were also kind of kind of reaching a point three albums in, even though like, I, I think our working relationship has been very special to both of us. You do reach a point where got to move on. It's yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to mm-hmm. admit when that's where you are. Um, and I've, you know, it's something that I, I really, I really w- was really wrestling with a lot and then he got sick. And so it, it sort of forced my hand in a way that, um, you know, in some ways I've been, I've been making the most of it. So now I have um I have a new person in Philadelphia that I'm finishing the album with and um he's wonderful. Uh he's somebody that I think I actually have maybe more of a natural like shared musical repertoire with. Um I feel like he gets the way that I like to communicate about music. Um but it's somebody new after after 10 years so there's a lot of sort of treading carefully and trying mm-hmm. to figure out like you know, I think right now we're in the in the stage where we're just sort of getting oriented and and figuring out like, okay, uh, what's our what's our path forward? Yeah, that's a really great realization to have because a lot of people don't realize that. Hey, uh, like for example, a teacher teacher can only teach you so much before you have to go to a different teacher. Right. You can only work for a producer for so long before you are you have to move on and say, okay, this was great while we this was great what we did. We got to move on. Mm-hmm. It, it, same thing for uh, your drummers. I know mm-hmm. uh, some people like phase out. It's like, okay, this is not what I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. We had a great run. I hope you, you know, it's not like it's not, not nothing bad. It's like, okay, I wish the best for you. Right. But we got to go. 
yeah yeah and move on and that's fine and it can be it can be really difficult it can be really difficult when it's somebody that you love working with or that is a good friend um i mean i always i always kind of laugh at this because i'm i'm i consider myself like really nice i don't i don't like to I don't like the idea of like firing somebody, right. um, but I've, I've had everybody I've had to fire and I put it in quotes because it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like, okay, so this separation. Isn't, yeah. But everybody that I've had that experience with, I'm still really good friends with. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some of my, my best friends and it becomes sort of a running joke. Like, oh yeah, that time you fired me. Um, and I, I, I think that's how it should be, you know, um, because it's not, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to blow things up to acknowledge no. that like the relationship that you were were working on needs to take a different a different path yeah and that doesn't mean that later on they they can't come back in right right so it doesn't you don't have to blow a relationship just because you realize for the both of you that it's not mm-hmm. a good it's not a good way forward right. It, right there's nothing inherently wrong it's just that sometimes we need to move beyond what we've been doing yeah and you just need to separate paths and that's okay yeah and I think that, um, you know, one of the things that performing more, working more as a solo artist has really given me a lot of clarity about, you know, what I want, what I don't want, um, you know, what's what's missing when I perform solo, who are the kind, who are the people that I want to work with. And, um, you know, that's been, that's been really nice. Um, I'm in the middle of starting a new band. And um, I feel really nervous about it because it's been such a long time since I had like, you know, other people who were invested at the same at the same level in in things going forward. And I'm not a great band leader. Like I I like to have somebody else who's kind of driving things forward. So I've been not reluctant, but I've been slow in like letting the momentum build with the new band because I'm I'm really excited about the people I'm playing with. But I also I need um it's just it's so much simpler when I play by myself <laughs> and all of the, the all of the nuances of the relationship and, and keeping everybody happy in um it's a very socially exhausting job and and so that's the part as I enter this new project I'm I'm wary of but I think that I've chosen the right people to work with um that's going to be like minimal social drama Fingers crossed. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about that, but I want to hit another song of yours. Yes, please. Let's do The Sea. Tell me yeah. about that one. Um, so The Sea actually has maybe a similar theme to Dinosaurs in that um, I wrote it uh, after I had, I think, after I had my first child, maybe I was pregnant with my second child. And um, it was really the first time in my life that I had, um, like I had people in my life that, mattered on this whole other level um where like it put at the front of my mind um the the temporariness of everything in life and um i just i wanted it to be kind of a love song for my family and kind of an acknowledgement that like here's what we get like we get to love each other until until we're not here anymore and and there's nothing there's nothing we can do about that. And so, you know, the idea of of the ocean as this, you know, beautiful body of water that is is your friend and your enemy at the same time. Mm. And it, it's it feels like the really the perfect, I mean, maybe it's a cliche, but it's really the perfect metaphor for what love is because it's so exciting and draws you in, and yet it's extremely dangerous and will destroy you. <laughs> and um so that's that's sort of the context of of the sea is like how do I how do I engage with you every day how do I love you so hard every day knowing that our days together are limited okay. yeah let's take a listen to the sea the tides and argued again 
The Sea by Jessica Smucker. So I'm very curious. You're coming out of the COVID era and we're getting back into the swing of things musically. What has it been like? You mentioned bringing together a band and you're having an upcoming project as well. Yes. What, that must be a lot. It is a lot. Um, so for me, it wasn't just the pandemic for those couple of years. It was that I I had little kids. Right. Um, so you know, when my kids are six and eight now, um, when they were very little, um, I intended to be performing more, but I just found that it was, it was too hard. It was too hard for me to feel like I could do a good quality performance. Mm. So for the last, I don't know, until last year, um, the previous three to four years, I was mostly, you know, I would do a show when asked, but I wasn't really actively out there trying to to perform. And then the pandemic happened and it was, I mean, honestly, it was kind of a relief. I, I put out an album in the fall of 2020. Um, and I sort of loved that I didn't have to do any shows to support <laughs> it because I just didn't, I didn't know if I'd be able to, like, I just, you know, but, um, it was also, I would say, um, about a year and a half ago, I started feeling like, okay, my kids are old enough. Like, it, it feels like I can I can start breaking in again. And then sort of unexpectedly, I found that trying to break back in at the same time as everybody else who was breaking back in after the pandemic, it was kind of great. Like, I didn't get a lot of questions about like, well, where have you been? What have you been doing? You know, it was just kind of like, duh, everybody's duh, doing yeah. <laughs> um, So I have found it um, that the timing has been really, really great for me. Um, so a couple things that I've been doing to try to reinvigorate my performance career. I mean, one is that I'm going to, um, conferences like Folk Alliance, um, mm -hmm. which, um, is, you know, a really great way to connect with other, other artists and industry people. Where's that at? Um, so it's, I mean, there's like Folk Alliance International, which happens somewhere different every three years. This it's in a, it's in Kansas city right now. Um, but then I go to the regional ones. So Northeast Regional Folk Alliance, NERFA, is in um, Asbury Park, New Jersey. And it's a great oh. way to connect with other artists who are performing in the Northeast. Um, and I've been, I've been focusing more on 
not that I don't want to talk to industry people. Um, mm. It's just that like I've done a lot of like, you know, spending money, hiring people to do this and that for me. And what what and some of that has been really helpful and successful. And some of it has felt like, OK, I paid too much for that. Um, but I really want to connect with other artists who are doing the same thing as me, um, because we're the ones who can actually like really collaborate with each other, you know, book shows together. Um, so about a year ago, I started thinking about like, how can I, how can I set up a situation where there's some reciprocity between me and the artist friends that I've met in other regions, people that I, you know, met 10 years ago or new people that I encounter. Um, and what I really wanted to do was, was start a, a series that, you know, where I could bring friends from out of town or local artists and do, um, you know, songwriters in the round where we're all on stage together at the same time. And we do a show where we're, our songs are interacting with each other. Um, and so I, um, I approached Zoetropolis about it because I, I really love that room and I thought that it would be the right space for it. Um, I had a few friends who were like, oh, are you sure you don't want to do it in like, you know, more of a like a smaller room or, you know, like in the basement at TELUS or whatever. And those were all, there were other good options. But I was like, no, I want it to be on like this this beautiful stage that that has amazing sound and, and I very comfortable seating, see, comfortable, <laughs> comfortable seating so that people can really like just sit back and enjoy an evening of like very intimate storytelling and, and music and just have it be a, a, a different kind of concert than, than people I think around here are really used to, to seeing. Um, and I was so grateful that uh, Zoetropolis was, they were, um, they were receptive to it right away. They're like, yeah, let's try it. Um, and so we've done three shows so far. We had, in September, we had uh, Brad Yoder and Mirabel Skipworth, who came from um, Pittsburgh. And then in December, we had Abby Gardner and um, Mark Douglas Berardo, who came from uh, the Northeast. Um, and in February, and you were at that show, uh, we had Mike Ryan from Virginia and um, um, Andrew Pauls, yep. who's local. Um, these have been really, really wonderful musical experiences for me. It's my favorite way to perform. I love playing my songs in relationship with other artists. I love when there are impromptu collaborations where people are singing and playing on each other's music. Um, and I love that kind of audience that's just like sitting, like a listening room audience that's really there to absorb it. Um, so in April, we, we're in April now, the end of this month, April 30th, um, I have, and I, I'm probably the most excited about this show than I have been, and I've been pretty excited about all of them. Um, but I'm having Rachel Sage, who's based in New York, and Katie Dahl, who's from Wisconsin. They are um, two women that I actually played in the round with in a showcase at um, at NERFA in Asbury Park last November. That's when I met them, and um, we really hit it off. And I was a little bit surprised that I was able to get them to come and play here, mostly because, you know, Katie lives in the Midwest and doesn't come East very often, but she just happened to be touring through the area during a time I had a date free. And um, Rachel is, uh, you know, a pretty big name in, in New York city and has a, a very large following and is, is a much more established artist than um, the rest of us. And she's also a very, very kind and gracious person, a phenomenal performer, um, and is uh, seems very happy to be coming here. So um, that's that's a show that I'm. I, I hope people will come out to and you know show them some of our Lancaster love. And when does that start on that Sunday? Uh, so it's April thirtieth. Um, doors at six thirty. Showtime at seven. Um, it will be over by nine. So you know we try to get people home at a decent time on a, on a school night. <laughs> right. So uh, you're running all of these things. I want to definitely talk about the balance because you're, you're a mother to two kids. You're a, you're, you're working and you do the music at, at all mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Well, I quit my day job a oh. year, a year ago. And, um, 
And that was great, except that now I don't have money to, to put into my music. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, 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 I have support, but I'm, um, but I quit my day job because I wanted, I, I was split. I was, um, I was stretched too thin and mm -hmm. my family wasn't getting what they needed from me. And, and my, my creativity wasn't getting what it, you know, and Man. I just, <laughs> yeah, I had this moment where, you know, I'm, I'm middle-aged, I'm in my mid forties. I'm like, if I don't do this now, when am I going to do it? So we're finding a way to make it make that work, the financial piece of it work with our family. Although, you know, part of me wanting to perform again is that like I, I would like to be able to close the circle and at least be breaking even on, you know, what I'm doing musically, which is shockingly hard to do um, if you if you know the inside of the music industry at all. Um, just take my word for it that many of the, the people out there that you see looking very successful they are, but also they're not making their living on it. They're successful <laughs> in their music, not mm -hmm. successful in their wallet. Yeah. Some of them are. Some of them you are. Know, yes. You know, if you you get you really the way to do that is you get lucky and you get a you get like a TV placement or something like that. Right. But it's it's really hard. Or you're touring, you know, like three hundred days a year. Yeah, you're um, doing two hundred shows, three hundred yeah. shows, yeah. Yeah. So um it's been it's been a challenge. I have, um, you know, especially as I get back into traveling to do music again, because mm. I was um, I was out and I played the Tucson Folk Festival last month and um, or earlier this month, actually. And, um, you know, that was that was a week in Tucson. Um, I'm going to be in Montana later this summer for a songwriting contest Ooh. finals. Um, and, you know, it's it's money to get there. It's money to stay there. Um, I'm lucky that both of those places I had family to to stay with, um, but it's also time away from my kids, and they're they're very good about. I mean, they've they're used to it now, but it it is it's hard. Um, and then you know, trying to do it in a way that feels fair to everybody, um, you know, because my kids' needs, um, my my partner working you know, a, a full-time job supporting all of us um, and, and my creative life, all of those things, like they need what they need. And um, it's not easy. No. <laughs> so, uh, and this kind of ties into your, the last song we're going to play, Stones to Throw. Let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah. So um, I found that I've been writing a lot of, a lot of songs about um, like the middle part of love. <laughs> Um, and you know, I noticed that a lot of the song, the love songs that you hear, um, are, you know, happy, loving songs about the, the early stages of love, um, you know, very romantic songs, um, or these sort of like doomsday songs about the end of love. Um, and I, I feel like I'm sort of carving out this, this niche for myself in the, this, this sort of the middle part of love where like, you're probably not leaving it's not awesome it's just, it, ha it it's has just, yeah. yeah it has its moments it has its beautiful moments and probably more of the moments are a grind or they're lonely or they're i need something from my partner that i can't ask for mm. or i realize that my my entire personality is unfair <laughs> to my partner <laughs> or whatever it is um and so Stones to Throw is a song that I wrote in a moment where I was just really feeling that, like, um, and it was, I was feeling some of the pressure of, like, it was probably around the time that I was getting ready to quit my job that I wrote this song because it was, like, I was saying goodbye to something I really loved because I did really love the job. Um, and I felt so much ambiguity about the future, but I knew that I just what I really wanted was to just like sit outside under the moon with my partner who at the moment didn't really want to have that much <laughs> to do with me. So, um, you know, everybody who's been in, in a marriage or a long-term relationship understands like that these moments exist and they can be very painful. Um, and they're just painful in moments. Like they don't, it, it doesn't have it's to be, this, it's not a defining yeah. moment. It's just a moment. Yeah. So this is Stones of Fro by Jessica Smucker. Today, 
bumpy, bright, and far away. I see you there, but I still feel alone. You're up there watching over me, but I need you down here with me. So let the sky grow dark and take me home. When you turn away, I feel the blow. Is there a piece of me that you don't wanna know? I can't decide which stones to throw. When to fight and when it's time for letting go. Overgrown with brush and weeds, I'm losing you to entropy. Dishes piled high, and I can't find your eyes. If you wait until the house is clean to hold my hands and look at me, then we might just as well let our love die. Kids to mind, bills to pay. I'm gonna sing the kids a lullaby. Pour myself a glass of wine and wait for you to meet me in the moonshine. Don't turn away. I need you to know there's a piece of me. Stones to Throw by Jessica Smucker. Jessica, where can people find you at? Um, JessicaSmucker.com. That has all of my, uh, you know, it has links to all of my socials and everything. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. I would love if you subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, that's where I post my kind of like home studio recordings. If I'm just working on something, uh, you know, that's where you'll find my solo piano versions of songs um and and my other music videos too but uh that's a good start for where you can find me what and what's are some of the stuff you have upcoming you have the april 30th shell of songwriters in a raw yes so songwriters in the raw on april 30th at zoetropolis and tickets for that are on sale now um and then the following friday uh may 5th i'm gonna have um my friend mark douglas berardo who played songwriters in the raw series in December with me. Um, he's going to be doing a house concert with me in downtown Lancaster. Um, and that's a really cool new series that people should check out. Um, if you go to, it's called DLZ house. And I think it's, if you go to downtown Lank zine on um, Instagram, that's a good, a good way to follow that. I also have info about the show on my website. Um, and then I don't have a lot else booked locally for a while. Um, I'll be in Montana in June, um, but I'm looking at right now booking some some band shows in maybe September and October. And then there will be uh, there'll be two more. I'm sorry, three more shows in the Songwriters in the Raw series later this year, August 19th, which is a Saturday. And then we have um, October 15th and we have a special christmas show 
on December 10th. Nice. And if you want more information about that, it will surely be on jessicasmarker.com. Yes. So one of uh, the last questions, we're kind of rounding out our time here, but one of the questions I'd like to ask all of my guests is, what is one of the worst or funniest (laughs) things that's ever happened to you on stage? So this goes back to, I think, around 2012. It was winter. I had a show in in this church basement in New Hampshire. There was a snowstorm. I was driving from Chicago area, I think. I got caught in traffic. I was running late. And I didn't, at the time, I don't even know if I had a cell phone number. I mean, I know I had a cell phone, but it was not easy to get a hold of the people um, to let them know I was running late. And (laughs) on the way there, on the drive there, I was having a conversation on the phone with my boyfriend at the time, and we were in the middle of breaking up. (laughs) And so so I, I get to the gig, I'm like, I get there maybe half an hour before showtime. We haven't set anything up. You know, it's just like kind of a disaster. I'm I'm wearing whatever I was wearing, but it was my travel clothing. Like I didn't I just didn't have time to do any of the things that I would have normally done to get ready for a show. Um, And then in the middle of a song um, while performing, I started crying, (laughs) like crying, crying. Because I was, I was sad about my, I was just, I was a mess, which happens sometimes. And, you know, you write a song that's sad and then you you never know when it's actually going to make you cry on stage. It's weird. Um, And then after the, after the show, this woman came up to talk to me and she waited in line behind somebody else. And I was like, oh, this woman's very interested in talking. I mean, you know, I had a good sense of like, oh, what's she going to say to me? And, and what she said to me was, you know, you're much more sophisticated than the clothes you wear. <laughs> and I just remember the the woman that I was I was co-billing with was talking to another another person be, like across the room from me behind this woman and I saw her turn to me and just make this face like <laughs> like it was just funny. And honestly, it was good advice. I mean, you know, if if that had been what I had chosen to look like and it, it, it was just one of those moments where like, OK, lady, but did you see me crying in the show? Like maybe I'm not having the best night. Like maybe I don't want to talk about my wardrobe today. So that was I thought one of the one of the funnier total nightmares. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, what a, uh, what a drive to Chicago to New Hampshire. No, I'm sorry, not Chicago. It was I. I was coming from Boston. It was. Oh, it was. Okay, it was okay, a, no. I, okay. Yeah. I. That was a. That was a slip. <laughs> because I say that's a long yeah, drive. Yeah, it, was, it was Boston. <laughs> well, if you want to find out more about Jessica Smucker, please go over to jessicasmucker.com. If you want to know about more, more about me, what I do, that my name is Corey Rosen. I run the Story Podcast, and you can find all about me and the stuff we do at CoreyRosenProductions.com. That's C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N Productions.com. We have a number of things coming up, including a few shows. This Friday, we're having Javier from the Heads or Tails Experience. That is a, a great funk man out of the area that I'm really excited to talk to. Very eccentric people. <laughs> and this Sunday, we're having our first ever little award show. It's a it's a almost a, an and it's an anniversary of the story podcast we just hit a year uh april 15th would be one year of the story podcast thank you very much (laughs) and we're kind of celebrating that and we're celebrating all the artists that have come on the show uh by giving them little little awards that show that you know every artist needs their accolades (laughs) right to help establish them more and get them more more uh gravitas i would say and so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna be holding a little shindig where a lot of the artists from the past year are going to be performing. They're gonna be showcasing their their new music, and we're gonna be having a one hour jam session at the end. There will be food, drinks, etc., all there. So be sure to come out. That starts at four o'clock this Sunday over at the Switchboard Studios, which is the uh, art space above Columbia Kettleworks in Columbia. So I would love to see you there. This Monday, we're having Joe Castro, a rockabilly, old rockabilly. Uh, not he's, he's not old, but it's a style of rockabilly band. And I'm really excited to talk to him about the way he's doing rockabilly nowadays. 
And then the next Thursday, we're having LBC's own Matt Wheeler come on the show. And I'm really excited to talk about him and his music career. Otherwise, other apart from that, we are starting our songwriter studio where we're grabbing three or four other artists in the area and we're we're locking them down and making them write a song within an hour. Ready to uh, the goal is to have a song ready to go to a studio to produce and release uh, within an hour. And so that's going to be a really cool show. There's a lot of people signed up for that. And I would love to have you guys on if you are a singer songwriter or a instrumentalist as well. Otherwise, we're we're ramping up our single reviews and our album reviews where we gather singles and albums from the artists in the area and we grab on the, another artist from the area. We sit down, review them, talk about them, what we like, what we don't like, you know, just a little bit of constructive criticism. And it's a great way for new artists to get some feedback on the music and to get some exposure as well. If you want to sign up for that or submit your music, you can do that at QuarryRoseInProductions.com. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day, and we will see you guys later. Bye. Bye.